This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 13th, the Welcome to the Man Cave edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is eight. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Rebecca Lavoie was going to be here today, but this morning she called from some kind of hiking trail to tell me that she had injured her ankle and she was about to be picked up by emergency services and taken to receive medical treatment. Uh, Yet another great reason not to live in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I did see (laughs) a picture that she sent and it it looks as though they have a modern hospital out there with electricity and everything like that. So running water and the whole thing. Yeah, Yeah. I'm confident that she's in good hands. Feel better, Rebecca. We hope to have you back. (laughs) Today on our show, we have a question about a nine-year-old with a mean best friend. Uh, And we have another one about a teenager who is determined uh, to become a professional musician. Plus, as always, we will share triumphs and fails. We'll make recommendations uh, on Slate Plus this week. Host Emerita Allison Benedict will join us to share a triumph or a fail. I'll fill that bit in later. Uh, but let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, it's just you and me. What's it going to be? Triumph and fail. Oh, man, this triumph and fail is definitely one for the bro cave. Although I think that um, that Rebecca's uh, blue sense of humor would appreciate this. So I'm just, this is, we already have the warning at the beginning of the show that this show sometimes goes into adult language and topics. And this one is going to go into adult language and topics. Gabe, do you know what the shocker is? I'm afraid I do. Okay, (laughs) so I'm afraid I do, too. So this weekend, that's the beginning of my parenting story, which lets you know exactly where we're going here. So this weekend was the weekend we did our annual Christmas tree trip, which is a thing we do where me and the kids go to this Christmas tree farm, which is way farther away than it needs to be, but it's just become a thing. And then we pick out a Christmas tree and we chop it down. And we always bring this one friend with us who literally, I mean, over in the past, she used to be with us at all this stuff. But as the kids have grown and have gone their separate ways, literally our only interaction with this kid is that she comes with us to pick out the Christmas tree. And it's that's part of what makes it hilarious. And literally, I looked at my text exchange with her. And the last time I texted this now 10th grader was literally a year ago when I was like something like, oh, we're in the barn getting hot cocoa. Just let it, you know, just like come in when you're done. And so like and so we never interact with her except for when it's time to do the Christmas tree. And then we go to her house and get her and she comes with us on this Christmas tree trip. And that's just the tradition. And we go to this particular burger place on the way back and we get a particular peppermint bark from a certain place. And it's a whole thing. And it's great. And it's always slightly annoying. The kids always end up fighting, but we always have a great time. We listen to the same Christmas playlist the whole trip. It's like maybe an hour each way. And it's a blast. Anyway, 
And wait, this is a friend who, this is one of the kids' friends from school or used to be a friend from school? She's like a family friend. They were in the same elementary school, but mostly our parents, the parents' groups were friends. Uh-huh. But then the parents kind of went their separate ways and the kids sort of went their separate ways. But you and still so do the tree thing. It's cool. Her only involvement is the tree thing, which everyone just thinks is hilarious. And she, every year, she's like, when are we going to do the tree thing? I can't wait. So anyway, so we all go drive up north and we do the whole thing, run the tradition. Everything's working. Everyone's like in the Christmas mood. Everyone's cracking the jokes. We're all good. And then on the way back, we stopped to get the burgers and then we were getting back to the car. And I'm like, oh, we need to take our annual picture outside of the car. So we take the picture. And uh, right at the end, right before I, I'm like, okay, you guys ready? I was like, hold on, hold on. And he's like clearly doing something with his hands and I can't oh, figure man. out what he's doing. Oh. And, then at the la- and then at the last minute he goes, he goes, okay, ready. And then I'm like, one, two. And right before I say three, he throws up a hand sign. And so I take the picture and then I'm like, Ugh. and I, so here, part of this fail is that I'm getting to a point where my vision is not what it used to be. Like, that's mm. a true fact that I'm facing, which is like. Definitely carries with it its own existential angst, but I'm not going to get into it. The point is that every year I can slightly see my vision deteriorating just a little bit. Like I'll be at the airport and I'll look down the concourse and the gates that used to clearly be marked now are fuzzily marked. And I'm like, did they put up fuzzy signs at these gates Mm. or is it me? And so I'm noticing all these different ways in which my vision isn't what it used to be. So I was like maybe... 10 feet from the kids because we wanted to get the tree on the car and everything in the picture. And so Ezra threw up this like hand sign and I just said, oh, really, really, Ezra, the shocker, that's what you're going to do right now. Very funny. And he goes, what's the shocker? And I'm like, come on, Ezra, like obviously. And then Georgia goes, yeah, dad, what's the shocker? And I'm like, come on, you don't, you don't know what. And then the other kid goes, I don't, what's the shocker? I don't know what that is. And I'm like, uh, nothing. I, I don't. And they're like, well, what is it? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, let's never mind. But then they're like, well, we're obviously going to look it up now, dad. And so all three of them whip out their phones. Oh man. And then Google the shocker. And I'm like, what? <laughs> how do I stop this? And then they're like, oh my God, that's disgusting. What is that? Why would you even say that? And I'm like, I didn't say, I thought you were saying that. Like, I thought that's what you were doing. I didn't, I couldn't see. And so I basically ended up introducing three children to the shocker oh and then God. being unable because basically because I can't see anymore because I'm an old ass man. And then, and then like having to sit there while they Googled what it was because I couldn't stop them. I mean, I couldn't take all three of their phones away because everything was happening too fast. And then they all got introduced to it and then they all thought it was hilarious and then they couldn't stop making jokes about it the whole way home. And they just had the grandest time. And I was just sitting there going, what? (laughs) I can't imagine a fail unfolding more intensely than this one did. So oh my God. I introduced three I introduced three children to the shocker because I'm a blind old man and that's my story. So part of your error was your your failure of vision, right? You couldn't see what he was doing. But then yes. I feel like another part was that you you either overestimated their familiarity with internet lore or you underestimated their innocence or something like that. You misread just how likely it was that they would be familiar with the shocker. I have no idea. Like, what three Bay Area teenagers, are they going to know the shocker? I have no idea. Wouldn't surprise me if they did. I guess it doesn't surprise me that they didn't. But, like, you assumed that they would know, and and, and they didn't. And that was the source of your error. Right. And I, I mean, really, I assumed that my teenage son, who spends an inordinate amount of time online, is obviously going to know 
what it is because you can't be online for a super long time without escaping it. And like they may, I mean, they, he, they know all this other stuff that kids aren't supposed to know. I mean, they make all these other jokes. In fact, like one of the, <laughs> one of the recurring themes and George has been this way ever since she was like in elementary school. But one of the recurring themes of this trip was that, <laughs> that they kept laughing every time something was said that could be a sexual double entendre. Like uh-huh. they just could not stop laughing at that. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> someone was, you know, like Ezra was like, he, he cut, actually there should have been a triumph here because Ezra cut down the tree, which maybe I'll do that triumph next time because that was a big deal. Cause every year we always should try to do it. Ezra always tries to do it. He, then he gets frustrated. He almost decapitates everyone. And then we have to take the saw away. And then this time he finally did it. But the point is that, as I was like guiding him through it, they kept laughing at everything I said because I was like, you've got to get it in there. You've mm-hmm. got to go back and forth. You've got, and they just couldn't stop laughing. And so, and like we were, I mean, it was like everyone was in a good mood. So like, but I'm like, okay, these kids have all this humor. They laugh at this blue stuff. They know it's funny. They spend a lot of time online. They're high school students. Clearly they, or George is almost a high school student. They clearly should know what this is. And it was like the one thing they didn't know and I'm like, cool. Now I just sat here and introduced this totally unnecessary concept. Now they know to everything. The kids. Now they know everything. And I got to, I mean, and then they were like, well, who's, who does that? And I was like, well, like <laughs> teenage boys make it as a joke, like just stupid misogynistic. No one, no like, one does it. Definitely teenage no boys one. who think, you know, it's just like too late. You know, it was just like all bad. So I don't know, whatever. All right. Well, I have, number one, I have a triumph, but number two, I have a triumph that's like the exact opposite of that. Like if you had a, a fail that was extremely raunchy and, and like funny and juicy, I have the world's most boring and bureaucratic triumph, but it's one that I'm just incredibly proud of. So I'm, I'm going to share it with our listeners, but I have to frame it that way because it's going to be a massive come down. All okay. right. So <laughs> to start with, Thank I have you. to tell you a detail about our family health insurance plan, which is that it has a dependent care savings account. Oh, and this is going to be good. Gather around, <laughs> children. And that's one of those things where they like put money aside for you and you can choose to spend it on a particular set of stuff or else at the end of the year it like disappears. And that's one of the ways that they like pretend that you're getting something, but actually yes. you're usually not. Yes. Uh, and and so there's a thing where basically like in the final weeks of the year, uh, I have to like fill in these forms and send them in and get the receipts and get the signatures so that we can get some money back on some of the childcare expenses over the year. And if you don't, then on the 1st of January, all that money that you were supposedly accumulating throughout the year just like disappears because this is what we have instead of social services in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had completely forgotten about it and we had switched healthcare plans and our new plan doesn't have this. And, and then on my to-do list system, a reminder popped up that I had made last year when I was super frustrated with having to figure out this process. And the reminder said, on this date, call this number and press these keys and then ask this question and then write down the answer and then download this form from this URL and then plug in these numbers into the form and then go take it to this person and get that signed and then fax it to this yeah. fax number. Because, of course, they only accept it through fax because they don't actually want to receive this they don't, form at they all. Want, they don't want any of this to happen. Yeah, exactly. 
only send it through carrier pigeon. Or exactly. Else it's invalid. And, yes. And my notes included make sure when, because the health insurance is in my wife's name and not my name, make sure you put her birth date because last year you put your birth date and you had to yep. submit the form again. And so I did it. I got the form in. It was super easy because I knew exactly what to do at every step and I didn't have to think anything through. And I had completely forgotten making this list for myself, but it was just an incredibly uh, generous and kind and helpful favor that uh, Gabe of 2017 had done for Gabe of 2018. And I just really want to shout out Gabe of, of winter 2017. Thank you so much. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, it, it was it was really worth it. Um, so that is my triumph. And, and that kind of bureaucratic mastery and sort of organizational savvy is really something that I've had to work so hard in my life to, to get to the level where something like that could feasibly happen as opposed to me just like not collecting that money from our health insurance yep. company. So yep. um, I feel the pride of that triumph and I pr appreciate everybody uh, listening to that great, great, exciting story. <laughs> wow, that was I was moved. There were tears. It's a real I, human I, I fully drama. I relate to that. I have such a hard time with that kind of multi-step yeah. um, logistical stuff. Something is wrong with my head. I actually yesterday I was I'm, I'm working on a piece, but yesterday I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of writing on it. I just spent the day doing administrative tasks with my little personal one-man writing business and I was like there's so many tasks and one of them was I had to submit reimbursements. Yeah. For various stories. And the the one of the publications that I needed to submit reimbursements for, they have this reimbursements interface that looks like it's from 1997. And it's the same thing. You, you have to fill out each thing. And then there's like these weird line item things. And if you hit the wrong button, it erases everything. And then you have to go back and do all these drop down menus. And then then you have to print everything out. Then you have to you can only mail it. But they it's like a whole thing. And and so it it took me so long to just like walk through every single step of doing it, and I was like, I why is why is stuff like this so hard? Why are these multi step things where you have to submit something in order to get something back? Why are they so difficult for me? But maybe it sounds like from you, maybe it sounds like they're different for difficult for everyone. It's not. It's nothing wrong with you. It's nothing wrong with me. We are like on the, on the normal spectrum of people. There are people who are super organized. Maybe you with me are like at the other end of the normal spectrum of people who are not super organized. But these are all situations in which there's no incentive for anyone to make it easy for you to file your expenses, right? Yes. Like there's, there's no one who wants you to get that in promptly and, and efficaciously <laughs> other than you. And, and so all the incentive – and it's the same with this health insurance company. They don't want anybody to claim this money. They want to like pocket it at the end of the year because the whole thing is a fucking scam. And don't <laughs> like true. don't then the final twist of the knife is the way that late capitalism makes you think there's something wrong with you because you fail to adjust and adapt yourself to the systems by which it withholds from you the money that it promised you. Wow. That was fire. That's a hot take right there, Gabe. I appreciate that. True though, right? <laughs> it's absolutely true. And I feel relieved and fired up. Let's take this motherfucker down. All right. I look forward to taking the motherfucker down with you. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Let's take some questions uh, from some listeners. Uh, this one came to us via email. You can send us a question, momanddad at slate.com. Uh, it's being read for us by Slate IT witch Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. Last night, as I told my nine-year-old son we would be taking his friend to school in the morning, we do this a few times a month to help with wacky schedules, he began to hide away his DS game system, and in particular, his Zelda games. When asked why he was doing this, he replied that his best friend hates Zelda. I don't know if these clandestine efforts were because he was embarrassed in some way to enjoy something that his friend did not, and that he would be made fun of, or if he thought this friend might somehow ruin or sabotage his games. He went on to share with me that in school, this particular friend does not like him playing with another boy who happens to also share the same interests as my son, and whom my son enjoys being with. When my son is found to be hanging out with this particular boy, or even makes eye contact, the best friend becomes angry and defensive and has at times stated that he and my son will no longer be friends. They all attend a smaller school, K through 8th grade, so these boys are likely to spend the majority of their school years together. This best friend has also deconstructed several projects my son did for school or built with a neighborhood boy in addition to breaking other items in his room. Intentional or accidental, I don't know. It is possible this young man may be acting like this out of insecurity and defensively as he lost his mother very suddenly and tragically last year. My question is, should I let my son figure this friendship out on his own and be there to support and listen to him or speak with the best friend's parent out of concern for his friend's possible deeper issues? Thanks. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I I don't it's the way this question is framed is like should I do this one thing or this other thing and I actually think that there it's not one or the other. I think it's both. I mean I when I was reading this letter the first time the whole time I was like, oh this is one of those terrible best friend situations that sometimes kids get themselves into. And I I know that I especially kids that are kind of like on the docile side or on the like sensitive or reflective side. And I know that when I was a kid, I had a couple of these like quote unquote best friend situations where I was like, quote, like best friend with someone who was kind of an asshole and a bully. And I just didn't know how to navigate that because I sort of would try to people please these people into like acting like I wanted. And then, you know, it was like uncomfortable. And when I was reading this, I was like, oh, it's one of those situations. And so I think in those situations, there's the parental path is like there's a two part parental path. One is you talk to the kid in general about these things, about relationships and boundaries and when people are friends and when people aren't friends and what friend friendly, caring behavior looks like and what it doesn't look like and how it is that sometimes we get those things confused and talk about your own experiences. You tell them that but you also let them figure out what to do about the particular situation because you get to have conversations with kids and you get to like explore their thinking around things. So the whole time I was reading that, I was thinking, oh, it's one of those. Then at the very end, there's this line where it's like, oh, this kid's mother died last year. Maybe that's a factor. Like, yeah, that's probably a factor. Nine years old is really young. Eight years old is really young to lose your mom. Like it just, and so there's... No doubt that a kid is going to act out in some way, shape, or form after that happens. And so I think that probably there is this kid probably needs a lot. And my guess is this family probably needs a lot of support. Our kids had a friend whose mother and father died separately, but both in elementary school. 
And that kid needed, that family needed so much support. The father needed so much support when the mother died. Uh, and then the father took ill some years later and he, he passed away. And like, the one thing that really struck me when she lost her mother was that the family just, of course the kid was acting out. Of course they were like being ridiculous in school and like getting into trouble and writing there and like writing in on the bathroom wall and magic marker and stuff. That family needed so much help. Everyone was feeling bereft and confused and angry and, and it's just like, who knows what kind of, if you're the, if you're the other parent and you've lost your spouse or your co-parent, you, you're also not quite available for your best parenting. You're stressed out. So, and this kid is feeling lost and there's a lot going on. So I guess what I'm saying is you get to talk to your son about his own boundaries and the way that he interacts with people and all these sort of larger issues about people pleasing and codependency and all that. Like you don't use those words, but you get to introduce him to those concepts so he can start to apply his own critical thinking to the situation. But I think you also reach out to the family and say, hey, we noticed that so-and-so is having a hard time. Is there any way we can help? Can we support? You don't reach out to the family, I don't think, to say, hey, your kid's out of hand. So here's another thing in addition to like your 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 bereavement. Here's yet another thing you have to worry about is that your kid is acting out in the world. So you need to get a handle on your boy. I don't think that's the tone you take. I think the tone is, hey, I noticed that it seems like so-and-so is struggling in this way. And like, is there any way I can help? And, you know, what do you see and what strategies can we maybe think of together to help with that? That's how I think. I think they're two separate issues and I think they should be treated separately. I don't know. Those are my initial thoughts. What do you think, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, they're two separate issues. And and then, of course, they're all part of the same big issue, which is that this boy has suffered the most devastating loss that it's possible for an eight-year-old boy to suffer. And, and now it seems like he's going around just feeling terrified of loss to the point where when right. his best friend is hanging out with another kid, then that feels like a loss to him that he just can't tolerate. And and when his best friend even is playing a video game that he, the the grieving boy doesn't like or doesn't, thinks is not our thing, is not my thing. And then his friend is playing Zelda and that feels like a loss. And he has to stamp that out because everywhere he looks, there's the potential for anything you love is just going to be ripped away from you at any moment. And you have to just constantly be, be on your guard against that. Um, and what a terrible thing for that boy to have to deal with. And, and for the letter writer's son, um, what a difficult situation. I guess the one thing I would add to that is, um, a nine-year-old boy, I, I think a nine-year-old boy can understand this, that like the letter writer's son knows what's going on here. Basically, he knows that his friend lost his mother and he knows that his friend hasn't been the same since then. And and I don't know what he would say about it or how he would articulate it, but um, this is a thing that your kid can can understand, and and it's hard to think about because it's so fucking sad. But it's a, it, it's not beyond his comprehension, um, and he probably has thought about it a lot more than you have. Um, and, and I think asking him what he thinks about it and how he reacts to it, you'll probably find that in some ways he's a few steps ahead of you in terms of understanding what's going on and figuring out how to deal with it. Now, obviously. Nine-year-old boys don't always have incredibly acute senses of social behavior or an understanding of like what they are and aren't allowed to do or what would and wouldn't be helpful in a given situation. And so there's plenty of help uh, that, that you could offer your kid. Um, but but uh, my guess is that he, he understands what's going on and is reacting to it on that basis. 
and yeah, in, in terms of reaching out to, to the surviving parent, um, that, that seems like it would be a worthwhile thing to do, as Carvel says, not to present them with a problem, but to let them know that this is something that you guys are all involved with in, in some way and, and that it will work better if you're working on it together. And, and hopefully it can help this poor kid and also make the letter writer's son's life a little bit easier as well. Um, but those conversations seem like they're, they're at the beginning of, of how to deal with this. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that does raise this interesting question of like how, how much kids can be, you know, this is, I, I, I've had this question before, maybe even in a column where a kid has been acting out and being harmful to another kid. And then when you dig further, it's because the kid who's acting out has some like personal issues at home or some things that are difficult. And it's like, how much do you protect your kid from this maltreatment? Mm -hmm. And how much do you enlist your kid in like helping mm -hmm. with the issue? And I think the trick there is that it's really difficult for nine-year-olds to know how to help, but with boundaries, mm. because that's the real trick right there. I mean, it, I mean, I'm 44. I'm just sort of only kind of like learning how to help, but with boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's a really hard balance to strike because you don't want to tell your kid, well, this kid had this terrible thing happen to them, so let them treat you however they want, um, because that's not a great message or that's not great for your kid and right. you also don't want to be like you know fuck this kid if they do something you don't like fuck him kick him out of the house let him know that you don't stand for that shit because that's also not the right thing so i think i while i think that kids can understand that you know we, we're maybe going to handle this situation a little differently because this kid is like definitely going through something and like you can understand that i also think you have to be careful not to put the burden on the kid to know how to effectively navigate the nuances of that because that's a, learning how to help, but with boundaries, like yeah. how to be supportive to someone who's kind of abusive, like for lack of a, you know, like less loaded word, that uh, knowing how to try, strike that balance is a really tricky nuance. And I don't know that a lot of kids can get that. Yeah, that's totally right. I'm looking back at this part of the letter where the letter writer says, when my son is found to be hanging out with this, this other boy or, or even makes eye contact, the best friend becomes angry and defensive and has at times said that he and my son will no longer be friends. And obviously, like among adults, that's abuser behavior, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the yes. thing that an abuser does. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and at the same time, among kids, like nine years old, that's a little old, but among slightly totally. younger kids, uh, if it's you hang out with that same. kid, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. It's just completely normal kid behavior. That's right. That's right. And, and it seems like this kid is, if anything, is like regressing a little bit, like is acting yeah. more like a seven-year-old than a nine-year-old because of the terrible thing that he's that's happened yeah. to him. Um, yeah. but yeah. my, again, like, and, and, and we don't know enough from the letter about how the letter writer's son is, is responding yeah. to all of this and what kind of feelings it engenders in him. But there's nothing in here that says, and it, he stays up all night crying about how difficult his best friend is or about the way yeah. his best friend treats him. It seems like it's the mother who's concerned about how the best friend is treating her son perfectly reasonably. Uh, but if the son is able to sort of process that kind of behavior, oh, well, today he said he wasn't going to be my friend anymore, but now we're still riding on the bus together. We're, st we're, st we're still, you know, hanging out together mm -hmm. and we don't, we, mm -hmm. we certainly can't play Zelda. We got to play this other game. Wow. That feels like it, it's not asking something of the son that, that he's unable to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Th I do th like the idea that the kind of thing you put forward about like letting the son's reaction be the guiding thing. 
Um, Because I think sometimes there's we have this tendency to like swoop in and decide how our kids feel for them and kind of like react to the feelings that we think they should be having to a situation instead of reacting to the feelings they actually are having in the situation. Um, The other thing, too, is, I mean, I would assume that this is the case, but if it's not, obviously this kid should have someone to talk to. This kid should have therapy or counseling um, because obviously, again, the loss of one's mother is a really big fucking deal and especially at that age. And so if that's not something that it could be that the there's some remote chance that the family, the remaining family hasn't put that into action yet or maybe doesn't think it's necessary or maybe it's like sort of telling themselves that it's fine. Johnny's just getting along and it's fine. One of the advantages of going to talk to the family is to make clear that yes it seems like he's still struggling it seems like he's getting obsessive compulsive about loss it seems like he's regressing maybe to like the maturity and age level he was before his mother died it seems like he's having these social issues and so maybe he does still need help if he's not already getting it that's definitely right all right Uh, i think we should leave it there i I hope that was helpful and um let us know how this one goes because uh this is a tricky situation when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's take another question. This one, again, came to us via email, again, being read for us by Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. How do you balance encouragement versus realism when your teenager wants a career in a field that is highly competitive? My 17-year-old son is a senior in high school and wants a career in music. He would like to be part of a city symphony or orchestra. We have supported him by paying for private lessons, band slash music camps, and helping navigate college programs. We have also talked to him about the low number of full-time music positions, but he is determined to major in music performance at college. I would love to hear what you all are doing in this respect, because I think Carvel's son Ezra also has career interests that are not traditional. Thank you for your input. Shut it down, man. Stem or nothing. <laughs> Get a real job and cut your hair, <laughs> you, you orchestra freak. Learn um, to code! Yeah, I, <laughs> um... I mean, yeah, make trap music like an adult. Um, I feel like I feel like I 1000% just am like, let this kid go try and be in an orchestra. That's pretty much how I feel because I, 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 I mean, if you have told the, I mean, so the, I have layers to this because I also was a teenager who had a career ambition that every adult felt like it was absolutely mandatory to tell me to have a fallback plan or a backup plan. And and the, it got to the point where the word fallback used to just make me so angry. And um, this two summers ago, when I sent Ezra to stay with his grandfather, listeners of the show will remember that I sent him for two weeks instead of one because I made a clerical error when I was trying to do <laughs> a multi-step process of buying him plane tickets. And I clicked the wrong date on the calendar and sent the poor boy into his grandfather's house for two weeks. Um, but one of the things that Ezra, one of the report backs that Ezra gave is that he was like, Dad, Pop Pop kept telling me I need to have a fallback plan. And every time he said it, it just made me more and more angry. And I was like, oh, I relate to that because he did the same thing to me. And that is one of the curses of wanting to be an artist is that people 
people will tell you you can't do it, you can't do it. And one of the reasons why people who are artists are so resistant to that idea is because we know that, of course, we know it's possible that you can't do it, but we also have to hold this opposite idea that the only way you can do it is if you believe that you can. If the only way you can actually do it is if you believe there's no doubt about it because it's that hard. And that's what I think a lot of non-artists don't really understand. It's like you have to be like you have to calibrate with a fine, very finely calibrated amount of delusion in order to pursue a career in the arts. And there has to be a sense that there's no other option for you because it's hard enough. And, and if you have another option, you'll quit as soon as things get too hard. And you'll never get the thing that you really want. And so your kid really wants to do this. It's great that he wants to do this. And it's a great thing to want to do. Like, I want to play classical music professionally. I have a hard time seeing where the problem is. What's going to happen is he's going to go to school. He's going to major in music performance. He's going to try and figure out a way to make it. There's a chance that he'll make something happen, that he'll catch on with some orchestra here, there, and he'll work his way up. And 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 there's a chance that it won't happen, that he'll play with some orchestra somewhere for a while, and then he won't be able to get a job, and then he'll have to get a regular job, and he'll teach music, and then he'll do this, and maybe he'll decide to go to graduate school, and maybe he'll decide to join academia, only to find out that that's even worse. And the point is, it's his life. And he's going to figure out how to do it because he clearly has parents who are involved, rational thinking and caring. So he probably has like the capacity to think rationally and and responsibly. And so I don't think that you need to intervene in this for him. At 17 years old, if a kid knows with a passion what they want to do at 17 and they're willing to work at it and they're willing to go out into the world and do what it takes to make it happen, I say more power to him, like let him go do it. Of course, it's we fear that it might not come to fruition, but that's not our problem anymore. That's their problem, you know? And so I, I say, let it go. What do you think, Abe? Well, as someone who also, you know, got these same words of warning from from his own father, um, and, and I can imagine myself in these parents' position, and I'll be worried. Like, I'm definitely worried for my kids' future. They're too little to even worry about careers, but I'm worried about them already. You know what I mean? If you're temperamentally going to be worried, there's certainly plenty of stuff to worry about when you send a kid off to college or off into the world or whatever. But I think one of the mistakes that my dad made in in worrying about me that I will probably make in worrying about my children and that this letter writer is definitely making in, in worrying about their son is all of those parents are overemphasizing the importance of what you major in in college. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just not that important. Like, mm. it, it, it's probably better to go to, like, a, a, a school with a good reputation than a school with less of a good reputation. That probably matters when you're, like, applying for a job. It's probably better it, to some small degree, as long as you graduate, it's probably better to graduate with a higher GPA rather than a lower GPA. But, like... If this kid winds up having a career in orchestral music, terrific, great, fine. If he winds up having to sort of scramble after college and figure out some other way to make a living and at first it's a side gig while he's auditioning to be the timpani player in the Cleveland Philharmonic or whatever and then the side gig kind of expands and he discovers that actually he really quite likes project management and then he becomes the head of the department and now he suddenly has kind of a mm-hmm. career doing this somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
no one at any point in that process will notice that he was a music major in college. And and yeah. when it comes up, people will be like, oh, wow, music major, huh, cool. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. what they'll care about is like, hey, you're a really good project manager and we think you're ready to step it up to the, the next level of like management or there's a position open at this other firm and it's going to pay you a higher salary and you've built a track record right. in your first job. Like all of this stuff happens so um, accidentally and, and there are many ingredients and most of them are, are you know, obviously, like your race and class and uh, professional background and, and, and your social context is probably the biggest determinant of all of this stuff. But then within all of that, um, what he does and how he adapts and how hard he works and how talented he is are also significant factors. But the decision he makes about whether to major in, mu in music performance or not in college is, is too small a factor for you to be worrying about right now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I, I mean, and yeah, like I would say that that's been my experience, too. I mean, I, I just told someone yesterday that I majored in theater at NYU and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I and I and they were like, do you did you use that? And I was like, I mean, yes and no. Like I never it never got me a job. It never kept me from a job, I don't think. And the, I actually did learn a lot about especially because the studio I went to was a lot about making work from scratch like making original work i learned a lot that i now apply to my career as a writer and talker on mics and uh and so i but it's never before that i worked in nonprofit. i worked in management i worked in tech i did a whole bunch of like office -y jobs where i had to wear slacks and everything and no one ever was like theater this is impossible like it was like get out know, of this you, office right now <laughs> security <laughs> use this side door um and uh, and it was always just like you know you you have this track record in your employment history and here's what we're looking for and we like you in the interview, so let's go. So I, I think that Gabe is right about that. And again, like, I, I just can't stress this enough. Like, there is a possibility. Like, someone's got to play in a symphony. And so this kid is like, why can't it be me? And if you don't have a really good answer for why can't it be him, then you should just let him do it. I mean, does he suck at his instrument? That'll be a factor. You know what I mean? Like, but, it, but like... Someone's got to play in a symphony and uh, he wants to play in a symphony. And so as an artist, you have to believe that if someone's got to do this job, clearly this job exists and someone's going to do it, then give me one good reason why it won't be me. And if you can't come up with a good reason, then you just go out there and hustle until you make it happen. And I, I love people who do that. And I've seen a, I, I went to an arts high school. I went to a conservatory for college. An inordinate amount of people in my life are artists and have wanted to be artists since they were like 12, 13, 14 years old. And I have seen that like all the different ways that those careers have gone. Some of them totally work at Citibank right now. Some of them are totally Hollywood directors right now. Everyone is in the middle. And it just I don't I don't think that it really I just can't even after 25 years of seeing people like go out into the world with artistic dreams and trying to make it happen, I still can't see evidence for why you should intervene when a teenager wants to go out and do something and they're willing to work at it. I just can't see evidence for it. Like, let him do it. If it's what he loves, man, that's so cool. All right. Hope that was uh, at least reassuring. Um, email us back in like 15, 20 years. Let us know uh, <laughs> what kind of orchestra he's, he's working for or alternately if he's uh, living in a box in the gutter. Uh, and, and then we'll know. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now for recommendations. That's the segment of the show where we, et cetera, et cetera. Carvel, what are you going to recommend? I'm going to do a classic, and it's such a classic that I couldn't believe it hadn't been recommended before. I had to go to the Slate Endorsomatic which is the uh, the tool that allows you to review every recommendation ever made to see if any of us had ever recommended it, and we haven't. It's a book. I'm going to recommend The Tale of Despero mm. by Kate DiCamillo, which is obviously a classic. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows about it. But it's never been officially recommended. And I just was reminded recently what a tremendous work of literature that that children's book is. And uh, so much so that even, I mean, my daughter loved it. And even my son, who was not a big reader or whatever, he he sort of like hated reading, he said, uh, growing up, he was like, that was the one book that he would always read and he would read it again and again and he would like read it in bed and he would, you know, and that book just really captured his imagination. And it's just such, it's so beautifully written. She's so good. She might be one of the best of all time, actually. And uh, so I'm going to recommend the old classic, The Tale of Despero. Now, that one I tried to read to Eliza a couple of years ago, and she, like, after the mm. first chapter, she got distracted. She was into something else, and she was like, no, I'm not into this one anymore. So I've never read it because I was too old for it. I mean, I yes, I, I was not a kid when that book was out. Um, so I'm going to have another shot at it because uh, you make it sound good. Yeah, go back. I think you'll like I think you'll like what you nice. find. Uh, and by the way, the Slate Endorsements database can be found at slate.com slash endorsements, but you have to be a Slate Plus member to see it. I am going to recommend, well, so this morning we went to the Orange Room and Leo had a book that he wanted us uh, to read and, and it was I'd never seen it before. It was by Antoinette Portis. It's called Not a Box and it's just a kid's picture book mm. about like all the different things that you can do with a cardboard box. Like the, there's a voice that's like, mm. what are you doing in that box? And the kid is like, it's not a box. And there's a picture of the kid in the box, but now the box has turned into like an ocean liner or a race car or a spaceship or whatever. The book is cute. It's fine. It's nice. The main thing I'm recommending here is cardboard box because we have had one big cardboard box in our living room for the past sort of six weeks. And the amount of play value that these kids have gotten out of that one box, it, it like we've spent so much money on toys that they have not touched once after unwrapping them. And this cardboard box is like the gift that keeps on paying dividends. So um, my recommendation really is that you give your kids a big cardboard box and then don't throw it away. The classic. Classic. And that's our show. Um, if you're a Slate Plus member, uh, stick around. You'll hear me talk to Allison Benedict. She's got a triumph to share. Uh, if you have a question that you want us to address on the show, you can call us 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email, mom and dad at slate.com. 
Uh, we have a lively and active Facebook group. I got an email recently from someone telling me that I should stop plugging the Facebook group because Facebook is terrible and evil. I saw that It's email. terrible. Facebook is terrible. It's horrible. The people who run it are terrible. It's doing horrible things to our world. And if you choose to boycott Facebook, uh, I am 100% behind you in spirit. But I will continue plugging and also participating in the Slate Parenting Facebook group because it's a terrific group, lots of great conversation, and in the final analysis, we all work for the man. Uh, thanks to the person who emailed me from her Gmail address. <laughs> Our show this week was produced by Max Jacobs. Rebecca Lavoy will be back next week uh, unless she's been left to die and eaten by a bear. Find out next week on Mom and Dad are Fighting. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.